Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're going to have a little fun on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. You can tweet tweet us at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. It's obviously a big week. It's a very stressful week. The election is stressing a lot of people out. We want you guys to tell us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed how you're sort of alleviating that stress. Give us your distraction. What are you doing to have a little bit of fun to keep yourself sort of uh, your mind from getting too caught up in everything that's going on? You can tweet us there. We'll have a little fun. Uh, tell us how you're getting through your anxiety. In the meantime... One thing that I'm, I'm trying to do, and this is my, my new, uh, tell me what you think of this. This is my new process in 2020 with evaluating the NFL. I'm trying to look at the league in three-week clumps. So okay. if I see a team for three weeks have one tendency, now I can make a statement on it. If I see it over the course of that three weeks where it's up and down, like the Bucks have gotten very good suddenly, so I want to see it for a third week. That's fine. But I don't think that there's any big, even if the Giants come in and beat the Bucks, I'm not going to hot take it tomorrow and say that means Tom Brady's trash. Like It just takes three weeks to have a body of work this year. Three is my magic number. Well, and speaking of that, you know, we're trying to take a look at these tiers and we're getting a better idea with most of the weeks that pass. Although, again, this week really kind of threw a wrench into some of the expectations I had for which teams were settling at the top and the middle and the bottom. Um, But one of those teams that we seem to now know is not going to be at the top, will not be contending the way we expected after last year's Super Bowl appearance is the Niners. They were struggling already, but now George Kittle to miss multiple weeks, likely the rest of the year because of injury. And then Garoppolo, that high ankle sprain that was bugging him, got aggravated again. Now he's out for a minimum of six weeks, even longer if it requires surgery. This is eight weeks for Kittle, six weeks at least for Garoppolo. That's the season. And that's it for the Niners, right? I mean, they're not coming back from this, especially as a 500 team right now. Well, and I think the 500 team portion of this is important because remember a couple of years ago, we watched the Niners just get decimated by injury. They lose Jimmy G. They lose more starters that year than anybody else to injury. They get a high draft pick as a result, and bam, all of a sudden their fortunes change. Like, that was a, a great moment for them. It doesn't, they're not bad enough to be that bad this year. And now they're stuck in a very interesting situation because Jimmy G has that label, right or wrong, associated with him now of injury prone. So they got to figure out what to do with a quarterback that I think at times has looked very good and at times has looked okay. And I don't know that the 49ers can still say with certain that they've got the guy that is the epic quarterback that can lead them for a generation, right? So they're in a tough spot. I agree with you, but I also do think you have to take into account the question marks um, from before, which were there for Jimmy G, but this year has been really tough in order in terms of looking at what you have with him because of the injuries that already existed, right? Raheem Mostert, um, Debo Samuel, uh, and then on the defensive side, Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman. Like, there's so many things that can happen on a team that make everything look better, and that includes our criticism of a quarterback when they're winning games, which helps when you have a defense that's healthy. They had the highest cap value of players on injured reserve this season, even before Kittle and Garoppolo landed on IR. They've had three different leading passers, four different leading rushers, four different leading receivers in their eight games. This is a team that sort of got the Giants Daniel Jones thing working where you're saying to yourself, how am I really able to get a read on this quarterback if all the pieces around him are constantly shifting and coming out due to injury? Um, That's something to think about, especially when you look around the league and say there's only a couple quarterbacks that everyone is certain of their greatness. Right. There's not that many guys out there that everybody can agree. This guy is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, how many fan bases? And this is an interesting case study. Maybe we'll do it later in the week. How many fan bases right now can just plant their flag and say, I've got my guy for the next 15 years and really know it? You know, like some of the obvious ones like Lamar Jackson, all of a sudden we're like, oh, what's going on here? Right. Like like last year's MVP is now one where we're wondering, has he kind of been found out? And the the problem that the 49ers are going to face is that they sit at 4-4. Four and four. And realistically, if they lose every game for the rest of the season, there are three or four teams in the NFL that aren't going to get anywhere near four picks or four wins in this uh, in this year's uh, season. So I still think the 49ers are going to be meddling with a, a draft pick that isn't as high as they would hope if they're going to have a year that goes off the rails. The most forgettable and unforgettable moments of your football weekend. It's Walker Shane. The fifth interception of the game. Staked his claim. Gets hit as he throws in the pass. Is caught. What a catch. On Spain and Fitz. All right, so this is what we like to do. We'll single out somebody uh, or some people that had something spectacular to brag about from yesterday. 
We'll also single out somebody that uh, may regret everything that happened yesterday, Sarah. Uh, I will let ladies first on this fabulous Thank Monday you. evening. So uh, how would you like to start? Let's start with a positive. Let's start with the positive. And that was Joe Burrow leading the Bengals to an unexpected victory over the Titans. Yeah, of course, the Titans will get some flack for coming out flat and uh, all sorts of issues with their defense. But I'm going to focus on the positive here, which is that there are any number of ways that we can make excuses for rookie quarterbacks. And a lot of times we'll allow them to, to, to do less than expected because there's that adjustment period. Joe Burrow's been fantastic. 249 yards, two touchdowns, uh, looked like a veteran and has pretty much since day one, right? A couple mistakes, but for the most part, not the growing pains you expect from a guy uh, in his very first year on a team like the Bengals that are sort of known for ruining people. <laughs> um, I hope that that's not the case with Burrow. I hope this is the beginning of a new era. But um, he just looked so poised throughout. And massive props to his offensive line for protecting him. They had four offensive linemen out to injury, and he did not get sacked once. Now, the Titans have struggled to rush the quarterback all year, but that doesn't matter. They're a professional football team that could not sack Joe Burrow a single time against a completely depleted Bengals offensive line. So shouts to the offensive line. Shouts to Joe Burrow. Um, If I were the Bengals fans, uh, you haven't had a lot to be too excited about of late. I would feel very good about the fact that this guy was hopefully going to be my signal caller for a long time to come. You are so right about that, by the way. I I got to do a Heisman feature on him for ESPN on the YouTube channel and uh, said it then. Like I've never seen anything like what he did last year. And the play that people keep talking about, bad defense for for, uh, the Titans, looks exactly like what he did to Georgia last year in the Mm -hmm. SEC championship game. Well, and so easy to root for, which is awesome. Like You just love a kid that seems like he's the guy on the field, off the field, franchise, everything to build off of. I like that. You know, you've gone with the the positive here, so I will also go with the positive. And usually when we talk about staking their claim, there's one person. But I'm going to actually single out two because there were two performances I think deserve a lot of love. Everybody wants to talk about Russ cooking, and that is a big deal as the Seahawks get the win over the 49ers. We talked about how depleted they are. But DK Metcalf has become a superstar, not just a star, a superstar. 12 catches, 161 yards, two touchdowns, and there was just nothing they could do to try and slow him down. Even when they knew that he was going to be the key and they were shifting coverage to him, he was still absolutely uncoverable. So uh, my heart's happy for Mina Kimes, who uh, was so happy when DK Metcalf was the pick for the Seahawks, and he proved that he is uh, more than capable of being the number one guy for them for a long time to come. So that's one half, but Sarah, I'll also Good give choice. you another, uh, another sort of co-offensive MVP uh, from yesterday, and it comes surprisingly from the Vikings, but not surprisingly from Dalvin Cook. 30 mm. carries, 163 yards. He had four touchdowns, all of their touchdowns on the day, three beefy. on the ground. I'm going to call that a beefy outing. That You know, there's just something about, <laughs> I, I kept watching so it. So meaty. I, <laughs> all I kept thinking about was like, Dalvin Cook is so good, I'm not sure even Kirk Cousins can screw this one up. And what do you know? <laughs> That's what we got yesterday. So kudos to, to Dalvin. Wow, I like how you took your positive and made sure to get a really big negative in there at You're the welcome. end there with Kirk Cousins. Speaking of negatives, uh, let's get to walk of shame. I don't know that there's anybody in the league doing a bigger walk of shame, and that includes all the teams that had unexpected losses and looked terrible. Even they can't compete with Chicago Bears receiver Javon Wims. The team suspended him two games for punching C.J. Gardner-Johnson in the middle of the game last night. He first did a fake chain grab. <laughs> He stole his chain that didn't exist. And then he kind of slapped him. And then and then Gardner Johnson kind of stood there and just looked at him. And then he hit him again. So he got ejected. And it was stupid. He said that he, uh, you know, Wim said that uh, that Gardner J- Johnson had spit on him. And that he had stolen a mouth guard. Like, yeah, we, we don't want that, of course, especially during a pandemic. But the answer is not to remove yourself from being able to participate in the game by doing something dumb and immature and losing your temper. Uh, this, by the way, is the same guy that Michael Thomas punched <laughs> earlier this month. So clearly Gardner Johnson has a punchable face or is just a guy that really needs to get some you-know-what together because he's been punched twice in the last month. Uh, all that being said, no matter how annoying you are, I heard somebody compare him to Cortland Finnegan earlier today on the radio. Uh, you remember, of course, Cortland of Finnegan course. could get anybody to, to get riled up. And, and if that's your M.O., you can't let them bait you. And take you out of the game, which is what happened to Wims. Um, just stupid. Just really stupid. Um, and and 
a lot of people thought Wims would be off the team. I think it's smart not to cut them all together, but I do think this punishment is very deserved. I am wondering about the opposite of a kissing booth. There's like a punching booth. Maybe that's what's happening in New Orleans. But uh, you are right, and Wims loses two game checks out of this. That's not insignificant for somebody. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's a a big chunk of change for him in this. And really, as Mike Golick Jr. pointed out earlier on Shanae and Golick Jr., the dumbest part about it is that he swung twice at a helmet. Like, what are you going to do when you're hitting somebody in the helmet? Like, I, it's all I can keep thinking about is me walking up to somebody in full armor and then just, like, slapping them and thinking it's going to have some effect. So I'm happy for Wims that he didn't hurt himself in the process, too, yeah. punching the helmet twice. Stupid. All right, I'll stay on the walk of shame, and this is tough for me on a victory Monday for my beloved Raiders. You know, I got nothing but positive things typically to say about my favorite team, but Trent Brown... Uh, missed the game, and it was unexpected. Remember, Trent was in COVID-19 protocol last week. He ended up missing the game at the last second, and there's two walks of shame to to be taken here. Number one, uh, we find out later he missed the game because an IV went wrong before the game, and because of oxygen put into his bloodstream, he had to be wheeled out in a wheelchair of the locker room. He spent the night in the hospital in Cleveland and is still, uh, as of a couple hours ago, was still in Cleveland getting tests done. So this is very, very serious. So number one, walk of shame for the second time this year. Team doctors that are somehow screwing up necessary things that are keeping players off the field. Also, huge walk of shame to the immediacy of Twitter that demands a response from everybody. A lot of people were out there questioning Trent Brown's toughness for not being in a game and saying that he's not committed to football to find out that he dealt with something incredibly serious. So a lot of walk of shame involved around the entire uh, situation. And I don't know what's going wrong with Team Doctors, Sarah, this year, but it feels like everybody needs to slow down, figure out what the problem is. Yeah, maybe it's the COVID precautions that are throwing them off of their usual, you know, uh, kind of patterns or the routines that they have when they're doing stuff like this. But it is incredibly serious to have uh, uh, air in your bloodstream during an IV. Incredibly serious. And um, Derek Carr, I I saw after the game, said they were all just spooked. They saw him getting wheeled out um, all of a sudden before the game. Um, and, And you're right. Obviously, this is not the first time this year that we've seen a doctor situation on an NFL team, Terod Taylor's situation early in the season. Um, and you never want to throw shade at anybody, especially since we don't have the details. And those are tough jobs. But uh, it's it's incredibly important to not add to the issues that are already at play every single second of a game as rough as football. They should be able to trust that the stuff happening pre- and post-game is going to make them better. Yeah, and, and not to mention the fact that Trent Brown is not a small individual. So coming off of dealing with COVID and now coming off of dealing with this, like my first concern is for you know Trent Brown, the human being. Let's make sure mm-hmm. he gets healthy and, and maybe everybody could remember a little patience when it comes Uh, to things like this. Here he comes, the aforementioned host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, Bill Barnwell on the Shell Pencil Performance Line. What's up, Bill? Uh, How's it going? This was the weirdest week of the NFL for me. Would you agree that there Mm -hmm. were more surprising outcomes and things that you have to figure out whether they are signs of what's to come or mere flukes? Yeah, I mean, literally, my column for Monday was, is this the end of the Patriots dynasty, which is something I haven't really (laughs) considered. For the past 20 years. So in terms of weirdness, in terms of having to consider things I wouldn't typically think about, yeah, this is a pretty weird week. Let's start there. Um, I got nothing against Cam Newton, but I tend not to be someone who needs the Patriots to have more success. I'm usually okay with it when things go wrong. But that finish of you know being on, on the precipice and having a chance to win it and then fumbling near the goal line and it being Cam himself, not even a pick would have been worse. There is no worse outcome I, I, I could think of than that fumble. Um, how much of this blame are you putting on Cam? How much on Belichick? How much is it just on you know opt-outs in a team that was kind of in a rebuild? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of everything, right? You know, I think Cam was better in this game than he had been the past couple of weeks. But fumbles on him. I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing, you know, he needed to protect the football and didn't. And, and he's taking responsibility for that. Um, this defense is a problem there. I mean, you know, I, I went back to my column saying, look through the numbers. Over Belichick's first 20 years of the Patriots, there were six times where they allowed the opposing team to run for 175 yards and three or more touchdowns. Six times in 20 years. The Patriots have now done that with the Niners and the Bills in consecutive weeks. I mean, this team is getting gash on the ground, and 
some of that are the opt-outs. Some of it is the opt-outs. Some of it is just the timing of the opt-outs. The Patriots couldn't spend money uh, because they were really capped out uh, during the Tom Brady situation. And then once those opt-outs happened in August, there really wasn't anybody to spend money on because everyone, you know, a real note was actually stopped up by another team at that point. So they ended up in a really vulnerable position. But I just, you know, I went back and looked through the last five or six years of drafts for the Patriots. This is a team that was grabbing guys like Devin McCourty, Rob Gronkowski, you know, superstar players in the first two rounds of the draft. Last five or six years, they're just drafting guys. Like they're drafting guys like Sonny Michelle and Keel Harry and Jordan Richards, guys who either really maybe aren't great players, if they're solid players at best, or guys who aren't even making the Patriots for an extended period of time before going on elsewhere. I mean, it's they really have not drafted well at the top of the draft. And so I think those stars who kind of would figure in to be playing key roles right now on this team post Brady, they're just not there. So to me, I think Belichick, the GM, serves some lane. I think the opt-outs hurt the run defense. And then I think they can't afford to get, you know, inconsistent quarterback play. And that's what they've gotten from Cam over the past three or four weeks. You did a great job of breaking down what went wrong and what changed really quickly because I want to move on to another team. I'm just wondering your take on Cam because I know you watched him so closely in his previous Mm -hmm. stops and now I'm hearing such different expressions about him. Some people saying this is who he's always been minus like an MVP season. Some saying he he, he at one point was great and this is an aberration. What do you see? No, I think he's a solid quarterback. I think he has to be healthy. I think when he's not healthy, he breaks down pretty quickly. And I think that COVID really impacted him more than most other players. But he was making some great throws yesterday. He was a a solid runner, a a, a versatile player. And he had the Patriots in position to win the game until he screwed up. So I I think that, you know, especially for the price the Patriots are paying, which is really over a little over a million dollars. I mean, he's not the problem with this team right now. Bill Barnwell, host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, with us here on Spain and Fitz. You can hear him pretty much every Monday on ESPN Daily, breaking down the week with uh, Pablo Torre. Always worth a listen, so check that out. Let's talk about the 49ers. You tweeted about Garoppolo, the latest uh, injury with him and Kittle out for six to eight weeks apiece. This is sort of over for them. He has an unguaranteed $24.1 million base salary and a $26.8 million cap hit next year. You said, Mm -hmm. can they afford to go into 2021 paying that much for a guy who has an injury history as a starter? What's your answer to your own question? If it were me, I would say no. I would say that's not a good idea. I mean, for a guy who, you know, going quickly through his history, uh, got hurt in his second start with the Patriots in 2016, made it through five starts as the Niners quarterback in 2017, three starts, torn ACL 2018, healthy season 2019, high ankle sprain, second game of 2020, re-aggravated that injury on Sunday against the Seahawks. I mean, Sarah, you know, you are a fan of a football team that has a, let's say, inconsistent quarterback play. I think it might be fair to say. But, and you know, is Jimmy Garoppolo better than those guys? Yeah, probably. You'd probably rather have Jimmy Garoppolo than Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky. But is the difference such that you're willing to to pay Jimmy Garoppolo $24 million and, and not be able to spend that money elsewhere? for the possibility of only having Jimmy Garoppolo for three or four games, because that's what his injury history seems to tell us. I mean, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo were, you know, a a superstar quarterback when he was healthy and it was just a matter of him staying healthy, it's one thing, but Jimmy Garoppolo, even when he's healthy, is not necessarily, you know, any great quarterback. So, you know, if if he's a Kirk cousins or an Eli Manning caliber quarterback, if those guys stay healthy, fine. I can understand paying for that sort of security, But the Niners aren't getting security. They're not getting high-level play. They're not getting consistency. Uh, Like, what's what's the benefit here? He's very good-looking, and I I appreciate (laughs) that he's very handsome. But, like, you know, I mean, he has to either be healthy or effective or cheap. You you have to be one of those three. You can't – if you're none of those three, I don't understand – how you're pushing the team forward. And I had that question about Jimmy Garoppolo now heading into 2021 for the Niners. It's Spain and Fitzbill Barnwell with me here on ESPN Radio. What's up with the Packers? Are they a great team, or should we pay attention to what happened with the Vikings and the Bucks? Well, they have a big weakness, right? I mean, we knew this from last year. They can't stop the run. And when they get ahead in games really early, and Aaron Rodgers is looking great, which he has for most of the year, the running game doesn't matter because if you want to run the ball down 21 points against the Packers, great. They'll be happy to let you do that, and they'll still continue to be way ahead because it takes a lot of time to run the football. But we saw it the Niners last year. We saw a little bit with the Bucks in Week 6, and we especially saw it with the Vikings on Sunday. 
they just could not stop the running game and not stop Dalvin Cook. That's been their weakness now going back through the start of 2019, really. And Packers fans blame it on Mike Pettin. I think he deserves some of the blame. Um, they certainly have had inconsistent play at linebacker. They've got rid of Blake Martinez this offseason to kind of try and uh, you know address that issue. And you can win a Super Bowl without a great run defense. We saw the Chiefs do it, but you have to be perfect or close to perfect on offense to pull that off. And when you're not perfect on offense, when you have a, a game where you miss some throws here or there, or you know the offense isn't quite as efficient maybe as it was uh, earlier this year, they're going to struggle. So to me, I look at the rest of the roster, the Niners, you know, maybe a healthy Niners team would be a big concern, but you know, heading down this, the second half of the season, they don't play a lot of great running games until they get Tennessee in week 16. But we know in the playoffs, wherever they could play in the NFC is going to be targeting that run defense. And they're only going to have to look at what we saw against the Vikings to kind of see how this Packers team might be beaten pretty comfortably. Yeah. Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz talking all things week eight in the NFL. A couple more quick ones before I let you go. Uh, our colleague Dan Graziano says the Rams are the worst five-win team in the league. Of course, my Bears have something to say about that. The Browns do. <laughs> What's closer to who the Rams are, the beating they put on my Bears or this past weekend when they looked completely dysfunctional? I would like to say the Bears because I think Jared Goff just had a meltdown, and I think he's one of those players where when things are going right, right, and he's confident, he looks phenomenal, and when things start going wrong and he doesn't sort of see what he's expecting to see, he panics and he doesn't have a plan B. So to me, I, I think that the defense is very solid. I think that they are effective throwing and running the football. Um, I think the Bears game is probably closer to who they are, but again, again, I mean, this is a team that beat the Bears, and their other four wins are against the NFC East, which is basically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, uh, a laughing stock at this point. I mean, you know, it, it, it's the, the Nucci division. So I don't, <laughs> I don't take those wins very seriously. You know, the and I, I think division. That's too bad. <laughs> I, I would say the, I would say the Bears game is a better example, but I think you can make a very strong case that we should be taking the Dolphins game more seriously when it comes mm-hmm. to evaluating these Rams. Bill Barnwell with me, Sarah Spain here on Spain and Fitz ESPN Radio. Okay, last question quickly for you. Lamar Jackson, what's going on? Is this a ceiling that we're hitting? Has everybody figured him out, or is this just a rough patch? I think it's a rough patch. I think he's a very solid quarterback still. He made some dumb mistakes yesterday, but he's not going to fumble twice in the red zone. Nearly had the Ravens in position to win that game. Came up a yard or two short. So to me, you know, I I, I think he's not going to be the MVP he was a year ago, but I still think he's part of the solution there in Baltimore as opposed to being part of the problem. Awesome stuff as always, Bill. Everybody check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast for more great wisdoms. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. We got a lot of November surprises yesterday and for a few teams probably didn't help with the stress of this week. Uh, heading into tomorrow, the trade deadline and elections coming on the heels of just some wild games. And we talked to Bill Barnwell about this. Uh, trying to get a read on some of these teams. Is what we saw yesterday a sign for the future, for the second half of this season, or is it more likely a fluke? And I think you look at some of the matchups and uh, it's pretty different depending on on which game you're looking at. For instance, I think there's a pretty good argument that the Packers are still a good team. Uh, Clearly the run, the run game uh, and stopping the run is the big issue for them, but it's, it's a, it's a divisional game against the Vikings who have an incredible running back in Dalvin Cook, I think they'll get some bounce backs against some other teams. Um, But a couple other ones, like the Rams, he mentioned it. You look at some of their opponents, and they just they haven't beaten that many great teams, and they themselves play in a really tough division. Um, I'm still wishing that my Chicago Bears had faced a Rams team that looked like yesterday instead of how they looked in prime time when they absolutely decimated Chicago. Uh, But the Rams are a team that uh, two years ago they're in the Super Bowl a couple of those weapons are gone. They have some serious offensive line issues in and out like a turnstile last year. It looked to me like this was a team that was returning to the form that we saw two years ago. Now I really have a question mark. That was not just a fluke performance to me. I will be looking differently at Goff and at that Rams team going forward because of what I saw. Very different to me than what we saw with the Packers and those results. I, I, I do think that it's something to keep an eye on. The Titans loss Uh, to Cincinnati was mostly notable to me because of the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals had four offensive linemen out. 
They had a bunch of backups in there, and the Titans did not get a single sack on Joe Burrow. Not being able to pressure the quarterback is a serious issue. They've got an explosive offense. They're extremely good in the red zone. Interestingly, yesterday was the first red zone interception for Joe um, for um, Ryan Tannehill. Um, that's probably not a trend. It's probably a fluke. But first drive of the, of the game, they have something like an 80% uh, red zone um, efficiency, and instead, um, massive turn there, throwing a pick. So uh, the Titans offense is not something I'm super worried about consistently performing in the red zone but that defense and their inability to get to the quarterback especially this weekend taking on the Bears <laughs> where the statue of Foles will very much appreciate it if you don't touch him at all so that makes things a little bit more interesting in a matchup that I think I could still confidently pick the Titans in but uh that will be something to keep an eye on again Fitz Back from his uh, Monday Night Football digital show, uh, going to help me chime in on some of these November surprises. Uh, a couple of these he, these games fit, uh, I have to ask, for you personally, which one of these changed your mind, if any, about a team? Is it Green Bay? Is it Tennessee? Is it the Rams? Is it the Chargers? Uh, and which one is maybe just a fluke? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I just heard what you were saying about the Titans particularly, and I think there's a serious issue there. And, you know, I, I get to talk to the guys at 102.5 every week, and they ask me every week, are the Titans a playoff team? And I find myself, or a Super Bowl team, and I find myself every week saying, hey, nobody really is playing defense other than about four teams, so what's the matter? But Mike Vrabel, as much credit as we've given him on this show, is in charge of that defense. Their inability to get after Cincinnati with as bad as that offensive line is, I think the Chicago game's a real statement game for them coming up because the way that they looked against Cincinnati was inexcusable, and they are the worst thing a football team can be right now. They play up to good competition. They play down to low competition. That's something that we don't see as often as we used to see. So I'm really concerned about the Titans, frankly, because they've looked bad against bad teams this year. So that one had me, you know, sort of pulling back a little bit and wondering. It's funny. I just went on a Titans podcast this afternoon. Really nice guys. Tighten up podcast. And I, I was kind of making fun of them for their ennui. I'm like, you guys are acting like a bad team. Like, I'm the one who just watched my completely pathetic offense. You guys have Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. But it is, you know, it is something to keep an eye on when the defense can't, you know, get to the other quarterback and make things tough on them. Um, another interesting game that maybe wasn't as surprising in terms of outcome was what we saw in Ravens-Steelers. It's a great Steelers team, right? It, they're super impressive. But Lamar Jackson... I'm trying to figure out whether this is a guy who peaked and now people have figured him out, whether it's just some growing pains. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg today and pointed to what everyone is saying, which is it's the big game. He can't win the big game right now in the NFL. That's where Lamar is. He can beat good teams. He can, he can beat below average teams. He can't go win the big game. And the concern for me would be this. The Steelers are their big game for the Baltimore Ravens. That is their big game, and the Steelers have his number. The Steelers know exactly what he cannot do, and they make him, they dare him to do that against them. They go, you know what, Lamar, we're going to make sure that you don't carry the ball in the run game. We're going to make you hand it off because we know you're an electric playmaker with your feet, and we're going to force you to throw the ball to the outside. We're going to pack the middle field because we don't think you're good enough to beat us throwing the football. And Lamar has proven them right two times in a row. So what are we seeing here? I mean, he has regressed in completion percentage, passing yards per game, passing yards per attempt, passer rating, sacks taken, rushing yards per game, and turnovers. Seven turnovers already, one fewer than he had in all of last season. Yeah, and I think that's a valid point and a valid concern. The only thing I would say to Dan's point is, the Steelers, you know, they have the same blueprint everybody has. They've just been able to execute it because they have talented players. It's a bad matchup for the Ravens for some reason. And, you know, I, I hate to use the NBA logic all the time in the NFL, but there are certain teams that just don't match up well against each other the way they're constructed. It feels in some ways like that's a little bit of what's happened here because I don't think the Steelers are necessarily doing anything that the rest of the league isn't trying to do. But you are right. It hasn't looked easy and it hasn't looked fluid for Lamar Jackson so far this season. Now, is that a, a system of lack of practice, lack of timing, sort of the lack of offseason? Is there something different with it? Like, I'm not ready to jump off the Lamar Jackson sort of ship at this point, but I am curious at why it looked it's looked difficult because every once in a while in the game, you'll see a pass that makes you really stop and say, holy cow, that's what everybody said Lamar Jackson wasn't capable of doing, and he does it. So he's evolving in some ways and then stepping back in others, like one step forward, two steps back. So I'm concerned, but I'm not ne necessarily changing my opinion.
Yeah, most quarterbacks across the league are putting up better numbers this year than last year as we see some defenses struggle this season, but not so for Lamar Jackson. So going to be interesting to dig into exactly what's going wrong for the Ravens. Let's start with Tua um, Tagovailoa, who got his first start with the Dolphins and a really surprising win fits, but we didn't see that much from Tua to really make any long-term uh, opinions about what he could be for this team. Well, and that, I think that's one of the more startling things, right? The Dolphins found ways to score creatively, defensively, special teams. I mean, they were just all over the place. The Rams looked particularly unprepared in this game. They looked sloppy and they looked checked out, which I did not expect at all. So I got the game absolutely wrong in the way I thought it was going to go. But to your point, we have this big win and you want to look at it and step back and say, look at that. In his first game, first start, he goes out and plays lights out. But it wasn't that at all. I mean, it was that the rest of the team was incredible and they didn't need much from Tua. Now, maybe you could argue that that's a benefit for the Dolphins, that they get the win while he gets a little bit of grass under him, right? But I don't know. I mean, I, 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 think, I think so. I think you get that W, you get it out of the way. They keep, they make it easy for him, and then you can add some more in. I, I, what's interesting to me is the auxiliary stuff around this, which is Adam Schefter reporting that potentially the reason that they inserted Tua at this point in the season is because they have the Texans draft pick, and the Texans are so bad that they're trying to figure out, are we going to have a shot at Trevor Lawrence or maybe upgrading at the quarterback position if we think Tua isn't the very best we can get? Would we be able to trade him and take Trevor Lawrence? And I was equally as surprised by Dan Orlovsky's reaction to that report today. You don't evaluate your quarterback when you have a playoff football team. I mean, that's what the Dolphins are as a playoff caliber football team. So you should not be in the thought process of evaluating a young player. Okay, let me start off by saying it's just wild to kind of imagine the idea of them taking Tua and then immediately trading him and taking Trevor instead. But if that's something they're thinking about, of course you prioritize that over wanting to do what this year exactly. Of course it's exciting for the Dolphins and in that division with the Patriots not breathing down everybody's necks the whole time and being the big bad monster. But what exactly do you expect this Dolphins team to do if they make the playoffs? Like, you you wanted to keep Ryan Fitzpatrick in, make the playoffs, get bounced early, and then have no idea what you got and have this draft pick lingering? It just does that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and you really, like, you've challenged my thinking on this because originally I would have said the opposite. I would have, I would have said absolutely. Like, you got a shot at the playoffs, you take it. But you're absolutely right. The one thing about taking Tua is that you never guess through this process. If you're the Dolphins, you never guess that there's a chance next year between your pick or the Texans pick that you'd have a shot at Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And and there is sort of a presumption that Trevor Lawrence is so stinking incredible. I mean, if he is, as people said, even after his first year at Clemson, that he was the next John Elway, you got a shot at the next John Elway. I mean, you're probably taking the next John Elway. I just can't. I have a hard time wrapping my head around it because all I keep thinking about is the fact that you'd be essentially admitting you wasted the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. But I don't know. I mean, you might if, if Tua goes out, plays lights out, but you still feel like there's a higher ceiling for Trevor Lawrence. Maybe you can flip Tua for something and you can turn around something good and you turn around mm-hmm. and get yourself Trevor Lawrence. I mean, as strange as that sounds, maybe it's not the worst idea because you're right. Nothing right. about Ryan Fitzpatrick is anything other than a rental for the next several months. Well, and honestly, I understand that it's not like the, the the Dolphins are in the playoffs every year so they can afford to shrug at the possibility of being in them. But but you are building towards something big. And so to throw that away for right now, instead of knowing what you need in the future, to me, would be foolhardy. Well, it's Spain and Fitz. I'm, I'm going to pile on to one other thought on that. All I think is we need to keep the same logic then with the Dolphins that we're keeping with the Eagles. Because let's remember, no, no matter how bad Philly is, uh, anybody that says take Carson Wentz out and put Jalen Hurts in just to see what you got for the future, well, the Eagles have a real shot at the playoffs, so... Why, you know, I mean, if we're going to apply one logic to one side, we should apply it to both. Yeah, I've got no problem if the Eagles want to see what they got in Jalen Hurts right now. I really don't. Yeah. That, that team's not going anywhere if they make it. I'll, you know, there's obviously always the argument of, like, people come back, injuries heal, things change. You don't blow it on purpose, but you do take the opportunity to use this as a chance to get better in the future instead of just sinking into what you got because how good really is it um, to, to make it and then just get bounced? Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, uh, sticking with the rookie quarterbacks. You know, Herbert is just doing incredible things. Every week I think, okay, we're going to see some sort of crack. And 
The crack is in the team that he's on. Uh, we put up the poll about the most surprising of the November surprises today. Only 3.8% of people said it was the Chargers losing to Denver. Not because Denver's a good team, but because that's the Chargers and that's what they do. I believe the statistic is 38 one-score losses in the last five years. 38 wow. one-score losses in the last five years for one team. But Herbert, despite all that, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's an alarming stat when you put yeah. it out there. And the, the, the hardest part for me is I, I just can't figure out why. I mean, when you look at that team on paper, and remember, it's the same team that everybody said, hey, they have such great weapons. That's why Tom Brady should go play for the Chargers, right? Then they get Justin Herbert. And yeah, they've had a couple injuries again this year. It seems like that's sort of an annual case for them. But it doesn't explain why they lose so many stinking close games. And, you know, there's just this spot where, you know, as as oversimplified as it is, and I always say it, good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose, right? Like that's something that has been ingrained in my head. And the Chargers find a weird ways to lose constantly. So even though I should be scared of the weapons they have there, as a Raiders fan, I should be scared of the weapons they have there. I should be scared of Justin Herbert. And I look at it and I'm like, yeah, no, it's the Chargers. Like, uh, good or bad, they find a way to lose these games. Another alarming stat, the Chargers are the first team in NFL history to trail after leading by at least 16 points in four straight games. No other team had done so in even three straight games. The Chargers lost yesterday after blowing a 21-point lead. They also lost after blowing 17-point leads against the Bucks and the Saints and also a 16-point lead to the Jags in Week 7 before recovering and winning. They also blew an 11-point lead to the Chiefs in Week 2 and lost that in overtime. Those are massive deficits for a football game. Like, that's, big, that's a big deficit in the NBA, right? Like, yeah. in the NBA, in the bubble, we're like, wow, they came back from down 16 twice. That's big. It's happening in the NFL. It's it's ugly. And I can't really pinpoint, like, so even if the Chargers were to go into full tank mode, I can't pinpoint one thing that I look at and say, man, if they could just get that one, like their offensive line could use some help, yes. But I'm not looking at it saying, oh, they need this one star player to make them great. Like, it, they're talented all over the place. Yeah. I mean, there were two picks for Herbert. That didn't help them at all. But 278 yards, three touchdowns, 29 of 43. Like, as a guy that we didn't think we'd be seeing this much of yet, I'm still really impressed and think he's got a a really impressive future in front of him. Um, We don't have much time to talk, Cam. We already did a bit with Bill Barnwell. Any thoughts on that? It, It was really sad to me the way it ended. I don't really find myself having pity for the Patriots. It's more so just that Cam tried his best and looked better, and then it still ended that way. Yeah, and I think the Patriots now are in the unenviable position that so many teams are in. They took a flyer on a quarterback cheap, and it didn't work. And so now what's next? You know, And Cam doesn't have a lot of weapons, and maybe he feels like he can get himself healthy, but this isn't giving Cam a lot of opportunity for another shot somewhere. And it's, I'm disappointed for him as much as anything through this. It's time for Good Take hey, good. or Hot Take with Spain and Fitz. That's right. We get to some of the analysts around our company, see what they have to say and whether we agree with them. Let's start close to home just to get me fired up at the early part of the segment. (laughs) Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst on Greeny with Mike Greenberg today, talking about my Chicago Bears. I think it's time to go back to Mitch Trubisky. Um, When they they made the decision to go with Nick Foles, I said, okay, Nick Foles is a quarterback. The the ball is going to go to the right place. You got a great defense. Ball will come out of his hands, go to the right place. That'll help your offense. And over the last four weeks, that just hasn't happened. That just has not happened with Nick Foles. He's put the ball in harm's way way too much. And they're not explosive enough on offense to justify a reckless turnover here and there. There's some teams that you – you know, Patrick Mahomes, if he threw an interception, I'd go, he's going to make up for it. Nick Foles does not. And this is a football team that's got a great defense. It does have a great defense. And, yes, there are absolutely moments. One really stood out in particular last night where you could use Mitch's legs and the fact he can scoot when Nick Foles looked at a wide-open 10 to 15 yards in front of him and just suddenly thought, I don't have legs. You do have legs. They're not great, but they (laughs) function. And you sort of run in a straight line. You would have been fine. But those moments do not erase all the times when Mitch Trubisky would not be getting us into a position to be in an overtime with the Saints. The accuracy isn't there. The football knowledge isn't there as much as last night was tough to watch and the announcers made it sound like the Bears were getting beat by 35 the whole game for some reason. Uh, 
it, it also was a close game because Nick Foles had those moments where he has great accuracy, puts the ball in the right place. Got to get rid of the turnovers, absolutely. But those turnovers are crushing because they're close games. I don't think these games would be close if Mitch was back out there. Yeah, I agree with you, by the way, a thousand percent. That's a hot take. Also, if you go back to oh, I Mitch. I forgot I was supposed to say it was hot. Yeah. I think that was clear. I think it made it yeah. clear how it, it felt. It was clear. Uh, but I agree. <laughs> if you go back to Mitch, too, you start this back and forth thing, this teeter-tottering that just feels absolutely helpless. And the other side of it is, uh, you're right. I thought the broadcast team was not only incredibly harsh on the Bears, but never acknowledged the fact that the Saints looked equally uh, bad at times. And then, frankly, mm-hmm. the fact that the Bears looked bad against a Saints team that has turned out to be pretty good at this point. I mean, nobody wants to talk about it. I know the Saints started 1-2, and two, but they are not that team anymore. So I, I really had, uh, while I understand it doesn't look easy and it doesn't pass the eye test, air quotes, I, I think going back to Trubisky is a terrible idea for Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Trust me, I wish we had that escape hatch. But uh, Chicago's uh, tendency is to be enamored with the backup because he's not the one currently out there disappointing you. Uh, Continuing good take, hot take. Uh, We just talked about Cam and the Patriots, another loss, an ugly season so far. Ryan Clark pinning a lot of the blame on Belichick. We got to be able to say, you know what, he hasn't coached well. We have to be able to say, you know what, they don't win the other two phases of football when Cam Newton and the offense aren't playing well to give them opportunities to win games. And so when you look at that in the totality of this season, Bill Belichick has failed. Fitz, hot take or good take? That's a hot take. And, uh, you know, look, it it was a fumble, not a tuck. So I love piling on at this (laughs) point. But I also have to be realistic. I'll steal this from Dan Graziano, what he said earlier to me is that what do I have in common with the wide receivers of the New England Patriots? We were all drafted in the same round, uh, which is none. So it's just a <laughs> reminder that who uh, who they've got offensively just isn't good enough. Now, we can make the argument that Bill Belichick, the GM, has essentially failed, and the, the way they've constructed their, their roster hasn't been the smartest at this point. But I don't think we have any idea of who the Patriots are with Belichick until they can get part of the way through this rebuild. It's going to take more than eight games to figure that out. It might take a couple of years to figure that out, but I'm still not going to bet my house against Belichick's ability to rebuild this thing. Another interesting fact about their wideouts, very good fiddle players. So you guys yeah. also have that in common. <laughs> Crazy. Just, really? Let's so, just get out there. No yeah, seat. Come so on. Weird. So weird. So weird. Uh, to your point, it is a hot take because I'm not absolving him of, of, of you know his role in all of this. But he said in his interview um, recently with uh, Charlie Weiss, he said, I mean, look, we paid Cam Newton a million dollars. It's obvious that we didn't have any money. It's nobody's fault. That's what we did the last five years. We sold out and we won three Super Bowls, played in a fourth, and played in an AFC championship game. This year we had less to work with. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. I don't think you need more than that to explain to people why you may have a little bit of an off year and it doesn't mean you're a bad coach. You just said we put all our money in and guess what we got out of it? Three Super Bowls and went to a fourth. Like, that's more than enough. Look at all the teams around the league that would happily give up a year or more in order to get that kind of success. So, yeah, I'm not going to point the finger at Belichick just yet, especially with all the players also, that are quick, not available. To, to analyze these appropriately, I think the level of offense that the Patriots has had would be the equivalent of if Tom Brady went to go play, let's say, on an Adam Gase coach team. Like, that would be a better indication of who we're going to blame here. Right. Like, Absolutely. I think that at some level, like, let's well, just be Well, the comparisons real. are so simple, uh, so silly because it's just apples to oranges. It's not right. the same thing. Good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Shell Penzo performance line. Max Kellerman not joining us, but we've got some sound from him on Lamar Jackson, who you and I just got into as well. Here's what he had to say. to hear about, well, when they turn him into a pocket passer, he can't get it done. What do you think? Only the Chiefs and only playoff teams and only the Steelers with Roethlisberger realize that? No. Is the Steelers' defense so much different than last year, or did they get their quarterback back? So why is it Lamar can't play well under those conditions? I think it has a little less to do with forcing him to become a pocket passer than he can't do it, and a little more to do with him not being able to do it with the chips on the line. Be very clear, this doesn't mean he can never do it. But so far in his NFL career, he has not been the same player when the light shines brightest. And to me, that is the biggest story. Okay, so Fitz, hot take or good take? Because that essentially is then saying physically he can do it. It's that mentally he can't do it when it matters most. Yeah, I think that's a hot take. I mean, I just I have a hard time 
putting any sort of a, a, a you know, why, why is that game, why are these games particularly the, the moment that he can't handle it? And I think Max sort of glossed over an important thing. When he talks about those very good teams, he's talking about teams that are more talented. I mean, mm-hmm. there is yeah. a good... That's why a, it's a big game. That, right. Because they're both good teams. And so when you play good teams, you might not play as well. How do you like this electric analysis? The Steelers' defense <laughs> is better than most other defenses of bad football teams. So that makes the job harder for the quarterback they're against. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on this. I do think, though, it's something to look at. Uh, there are guys that are front runners. There are guys that play better uh, from ahead. And, and it's it's not absurd to look at that, as especially as the uh, evidence continues to back it up. That is something to look at with Lamar Jackson. He has not been good at coming back from behind. And he has not thus far been at his best in those big high-profile games, um, whether that's a mental thing or simply a result of the quality of competition and coaching on the other side, I think is, is still yet to be seen. But one it's other good. element to that, Sarah, that I would just quickly add on is that let's also put Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, under a little bit of a microscope here too. Like, is he calling the best plays to put Lamar in the best situation against great defenses? I mean, yeah. that's the next level of analysis. I think we just uh, we undervalue how much coaching matters in these things. Well, and listen, Greg Roman was his coach when he was an MVP. And he was doing incredible things. So is what he's doing right now based on what he sees from Lamar and thinks he's capable of? Is it boring? Is it not enough? Is he not mixing things up? Um, You know, a little more time on that one as well to see whether it's a a matter of play calling. Uh, By the way, uh, the Giants leading the Bucks after a successful touchdown 7-3 early on in Monday Night Football. Finally, in good take, hot take, we'll go back to my buddy Dan Orlovsky, who was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg and made a guarantee about Sam Darnold. All those teams that we go, you know, might be picking somewhere in the 20s, you're going to go into the draft and go, wait, those three quarterbacks with Fields, Lawrence, and Lance are gone, and if I want a quarterback, I can trade my back, the back half of my first-round pick and get Sam Darnold, and I've already got a really healthy football team around me, and Sam Darnold, I'm telling you, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I'd put a lot of money on it. I'd I guarantee Sam Darnold will become a really, 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 really good NFL quarterback somewhere outside of New York. Okay, first of all, I think when somebody says, I think when somebody, that's Chris Mitchell, the aforementioned lunatic that's working on the show. I think when somebody says, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, I would put a ton of money. They should be required to just that one time put a ton of money on whatever they're about to say. (laughs) It's such an easy cop-out to be like, I mean, I would, but I don't do that sort of thing. But I'm going to tell you I would. Uh, Good take or hot take? That's a hot take. Uh, And this is just nothing against Sam Darnold. But as I've said before, his numbers went down every year in college. His ability... Uh, to be that elite great passer in college was questioned at times. He made bad reads. He had bad interceptions. He was who he is now. I mean, he hasn't developed well, but uh, of all the quarterbacks that may be available next year, cough Matt Ryan, if I'm going to turn around and and get one, it's not going to be Sam Darnold. Yeah, to me, I think it's a hot take only because I'm not guaranteeing that at all. Absolutely, I think he'd be more successful outside of the dysfunction that is the Jets, but I haven't seen enough from him to know for sure that success somewhere else would be would be clear uh and i do think dan orlovsky should have to put tons of money on that because he said it there's bang jason fitz on espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 as i said don't forget to subscribe to the spain and fitz podcast too that's what she said spain and fitz that's what she said spain and fitz both worth your time speaking of your time we asked you what's more likely to happen uh per our lunatic colleague chris mitchell who wants to rub it in our faces when the mets and or jets win it all and uh, you guys had some appropriate responses, exactly as I expected. Um, at jmore1123, you forgot C, none of the above. Both teams are sold, moved out of New York and New Jersey, and have their names changed. Uh, at Douglas underscore Mick, you left out hell freezing over. Uh, Candy Thompson, could you please include another option? Pigs fly, hell freezes over. The 2020 Olympics are actually held in the 2020s. Uh, so, well done, all of you. Um, in the meantime... The actual results of the poll are uh, just a runaway. The Mets, 88.6%. The Jets, 11.4%. My guess is the new ownership has people a little bit more hyped on what the Mets could do. And they've had more success recently. They were in the World Series not that long ago. Um, but just for the sake of, of annoying Chris Mitchell, uh, I'm going to continue to rip on them with the same effort and enthusiasm that I do the Jets. Uh, you guys also chimed in when we asked earlier in the show about anxiety fits with Election Day tomorrow and the results coming God knows how long after that. 
Uh, we needed some tips from you. So you joined us on the Spain and Fitz Nation. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and had some good ones. At Kim Ashen RLVA, vote first, then meditate. Weather will be good, so going to take a walk. Going to maintain radio silence all day. Read a book, then make sure adult beverages are ready for the first returns. I'm going to do a lot of that. I'm going to read. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to kind of get outside a bunch. Uh, Brit UO is going to stay home and start rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine until the news starts tomorrow. So just an all-night, overnight uh, binge. I suggested that if anybody had not watched Making It with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman, it is a very good, feel-good, pure show to watch right now in the midst of anxiety. I, I will also, I mean, we're not going to tell anybody what to do or how to do it. I will implore everybody right now, go out and vote tomorrow. That's the number one thing that you've already yes. been told a million times. We will tell you that. I will also just beg everybody, when you go to the polls, take a few minutes and look at local initiatives too. Mm-hmm. Everybody's so big on the national stuff and there's a big reason for that. But above and also, in addition to that, I should say, local initiatives are really important in every single jurisdiction. So know who you're voting for and know why you're voting for them. The other thing is, Tomorrow night, uh, you know, you'll be you're you're gonna take some time tomorrow night. I'll be here, and we're gonna have some fun. So we're gonna do our best to have some fun and distract everybody with some fun voting themes. But it will be all sports, so we can Good. give everybody an opportunity to come here and just get away from it while everybody waits to see how it goes. But again, go vote and go vote not just nationally but yeah, also for local and, initiatives. And the local stuff. There are endless resources online. There are literal uh, voting guides that can help walk you through each of the judges and each of the local initiatives that are up on the ballot. That's super important. A lot of people complain that they don't feel like they're represented by the government. There's so many ways that you can affect the everyday things that actually affect you and your families and your job and everything else. So Fitz is right about that one. Um, In the meantime, at Devin Luke 18 is going to do some morning meditation and yoga, some structured self-care and stay away from the noise for most of it. Love will win. I am also starting my day with meditation and yoga, and then I have an 8 to 9.15 p.m. yoga meditation. I am filling my day with exercise and things that are requiring me to not have a phone in my hand. It's impossible to do yoga with a phone in your hand. Um, At Gig Harbor, Lola said, I have tons of leftover Halloween candy and plenty of wine, cinnamon schnapps, and my husband got a new keg for the kegerator, a wonderfully smooth stout, sugar, and booze. That I got to be honest, that's not like see, a plan. I, I've got a little bit of a plan going for tomorrow night post-show uh, because, okay. you know, everybody knows I, I did this work with Cheez-It with Mike Golick Jr. And they sent the One they sent Cheez-It. each of it. Uh, each of us. Uh, they sent the each right of us. She's singing the song. She's got it now. I know all of it. Uh, it's always in my head. Thank you very little. Well, we're, there's there's more to come, by the way. But they oh, sent no. uh, they oh, sent no, Mike and so I uh, so a box that I didn't know they made that was literally cheese it and wine. So it's oh, yeah. it's a box of rosé oh, yeah. and a box of cheese it. I think your plans for tomorrow. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get home <laughs> and I'm just gonna see if I can kill a box of rosé and a box of cheese it by it. myself. I feel I like that's it. the way to do it. I love it. And uh, at Megan McLemore ten, does piles of junk food count as self care? Yes. 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 Go yes. ahead and do it. Um, at History Brad, long walks around the city, especially now that we're getting nice autumn weather. Taking part in NaNoWriMo, which is the um, writing a novel in a month. It's like a scheduled thing where you're writing every day. Has given me something to do that's fun and creative and not my dissertation. Oh, and my Steelers are 7-0. and Thanks, Brad, for telling us how well your Steelers <laughs> are playing while some of us are suffering from debilitating losses last night. Uh, at Maggie 162, long bike ride with the kids, then playing board games with the kids, then watching movies with the kids, then putting the kids to bed and busting out the pharmaceuticals. I mean, I'm not <laughs> mad at that either. I haven't ruled out taking a trip to Massachusetts tomorrow, too. Yeah, uh, yeah I, mean, I mean, it's legal here in Chicago. I might just throw on Dazed and Confused and then uh, Dazed and Confused myself into an app. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, through all of it, the concept of going back, like if, you're, if your favorite football team's coming off a big win, this is a great time to go get Game Pass and just like rewatch the game. Like, uh, yes. I, I mean, that's not the worst idea to sit back, you know, for me, eat the Cheez-Its and drink the entire box of rosé <laughs> while I watch, rewatch the Raiders win over the Browns. Like that feels like a heck of a way to spend a Tuesday night in general and then, you know, check, a, check in on the updates afterwards. I, I, I kind of like that idea. Yeah. I, like I said, I do think that there's um, some really like heartwarming stuff. Ted Lasso, I'm a couple episodes into, is one of those shows that makes you feel good. Making it, um, yeah, I'm sure, great British, British Bake Off. There's a new pottery show that's supposed to be amazing. All these things that are about like crafting and just getting down to you know good, warm, homey, pure things. I think that's probably the route to go. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that, at some point, again, the most important thing, go out and vote. And then just separate yourself from it. I think it's good for mental health. And that's why... Like I said, you know, for us tomorrow night, we're going to try and have a little bit of fun, not because it's not an incredibly serious and important night, but because all we can offer in that moment is a little bit of, I I hate to use the word in 2020 because it's difficult, but a little bit of escapism for everybody to come here. I figure if you- Well, and the point is that everywhere will be about the election. If people want that, they can go everywhere. And on this one night, it makes sense for you to be something that's a release point for them to go do anything else. Hey, everybody, welcome to the after party. Quick little hang uh, after the show. I'm not on tomorrow. I very wisely removed myself from the premises on election night. So Fitz will be hanging out with you, having lots of fun. So a couple things I wanted to get to before they became old news. First, Fitz, really quickly, I want to congratulate my skipper, David Ross, on being a uh, manager of the year finalist in the NL uh, in his very first year. Tough season. Excellent. Also, shout out to the White Sox skipper, Rick Renteria, who's a finalist for Manager of the Year, three weeks after being fired. Uh, And a very awkward shout out from the White Sox Twitter today, congratulating him on the honor. Uh, Weird. Good luck. That is such a strange thing about, like... How, how do you handle that when you're a manager? When you see, oh, it's like, oh, gee, thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I appreciate the love. This will also help me get another job since I am now without one. Thanks to you. <laughs> um, the other news of the day that I really wanted to get your take on is uh, a report that came out from Chris Mortensen, ESPN's Chris Mortensen, that the NFL Competition Committee is going to present a resolution to owners, including a 16-team playoff scenario in the event that games are lost because of the pandemic. So this would be a contingency plan if bye weeks continue to disappear, if teams can't play down the stretch through winter, uh, and it would be eight playoff teams from each conference, four division champions, four wild card teams. And so one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. They'd already approved expanding the postseason to 14 teams starting this season uh, back in March. So that increased the wild card teams per conference to three. Um, but this would be a totally separate deal based on the idea that they wouldn't be able to finish the season as intended. What do you make of this? Well, I think, you know, it raises a really interesting question of what we all want as fans, because there's a line between my team made the playoffs and my team stinks. And I, I think it's interesting because earlier tonight when we were talking about... Uh, and that to line a, is the Bears. <laughs> it's a very... It's a hard to see line. I, I think... Well, it depends on like the trajectory too. <laughs> like, like you know, for me as a Raiders fan, I think the team has gradually over the last couple of years gotten better every year. So if, if, the, if the Raiders make the playoffs, I'm ecstatic. Doesn't matter expansion. Doesn't matter how they make it. But I do think that there's this, this moment where suddenly if you end up with a team that's not particularly good making the playoffs, I mean, what does that feel like? What are we going to be set with? Like a little like the college Off football the playoff. Like, like, right. And what do you end up <laughs> every year? We get like college football playoff games where Clemson suddenly is just destroying mm-hmm. Oklahoma. And it's like, well, that wasn't fun. So like, that's not fun for a fan base either. So I'm a little hesitant because there's this weirdness where then how do you accept it? Where you're like, oh, we made the playoffs, but we were seven and nine to do it or six and ten to do it. Like that just feels weird for a wild card team. And that that could happen in the NFC particularly. Yeah, it's not clear yet, first of all, what needs to happen in order for this to be triggered, right? How many games need to be lost? How weird does the end of the season need to look? And then also, is it just taking out the first round buys? So sortly what they did in, in other sports this year, you know, take out those buys and then um just two more playoff games then and then I don't know. I mean, because you also have to look at TV rights. There were TV rights handed out for those that those new expansion games. Uh, how does it work now if if there isn't that opening sort of round? Um, I think it's smart, though, Fitz, that they are looking at contingency plans. One of the things that I've thought was wise of the NFL, even though PR-wise it might seem like they're unprepared, by not overly committing to anything, by not saying definitively anything, they leave themselves open to manipulating based on what they have happened. Whereas we saw in a number of other sports, this desire to be able to definitively say something that then caused them to have to go back on it later. Right. I think they've been wise in just kind of saying we're kind of open and whatever happens, we're going to react. Well, I totally agree with you. I think the significance here is the fact that now for the first time we're hearing that there's a possible contingency plan. Uh, that to me says the league's looking around and saying, oh God, 
Um, we got to have something here. and Potentially looking at college football where it's an absolute mess. I'm oh, wondering it, if they're headed to that. I mean, it, it's a, a just a dumpster fire in the college. Like, I mean, Northwestern had 35 players ineligible last week. Like, mm. what, what are we doing week in and week out? And, you know, then you look across exactly the board. Exactly what everybody dreaded before, and they all got bullied into it, and they all decided that they needed to follow the lead of others who made the decision based on the wrong things, and here we are. Yeah, well, and, and what are we going to do in the NFL where, you know, we've already seen the reports that the Ravens had a couple of positive tests and the Steelers are worried about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, every week this is just going to be part of life as a as in media, but also life as a football fan. Like, I feel like you're waking up on Sunday having this dreaded feeling of, okay, who's going to be available and who's not? And as games continue to get moved and canceled and, and pushed and postponed, I mean, this is for a league that's found a way to play doubleheaders on Mondays and Tuesday night football. I just, I guess I believed in my mind that it was going to take hell freezing over, you know, for them to find some way to, to have to postpone. But now that there's contingency plans being discussed, that to me, that that's significant from the league as a statement of we better be ready for everything for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Fitz will be keeping an eye on you all tomorrow night. Enjoy it and uh, take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.